<laughs> Whereas I, I know lots of people who, who live in there, but it's, yeah, not for me. Well, one thing I wanted to ask, I was just reading the piece you wrote in The Guardian, where you said you actually hated writing full, full stop. stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know, I mean... What is it? What is, I'm just going to ask that after, is it five non-fiction, five history books, biographies, non-fiction books, a, a load of journalism, four yeah. novels? Yeah. To, to hate writing is a... <laughs> well, I don't really have any other talent apart from smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Which is harder to get. I think I should stick with what I'm good at. Uh, if, insofar as I'm good at it. I don't know. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of jobs I would much prefer to have done. How about you? What? Me? Mm. God, blimey. I can, barely, I can barely do the writing part of it, but... Uh, no, I've, I'm a terrible procrastinator, um, which I got the impression you were from what you were, you were saying. You'd do anything to avoid it. I want to learn... I'm not a procrastinator. I just live in a really tidy house. <laughs> so how do you work? What's your... I think... Well, I, I find that fear of the bailiffs is an excellent <laughs> motivation. Um, no, I, 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 I'm not a procrastinator. I'm quite strict, really. Uh, I think especially since I have a little girl. Um, I don't, my writing day has to be quite short, so I have to... So I do the same thing every day in the same order. I mean, just, What's your... Can I ask what your... I get up. I take my child to school. I go to the gym. I sit down uh, after having a shower and a read of Arts and Letters daily um, <laughs> and a piece of palansado with marmalade and a black coffee and then I smoke fag, stare into space and swear at myself until <laughs> it's ten minutes before picking up time that's my day, that's what I do So are you on your own most of the day? Yeah, yeah Is that ever part of the problem? I mean a lot of writers I know, in fact Rosa who, who we were just talking about, her problem was that she, she is, was very social is very social so found the just the, the the solitariness required. Oh goodness, no, no, no! I, I love that bit. <laughs> in fact, if if it was up to me, the way I work absolutely best is in fact being entirely on my own. So, um, my mum lived for a long time in France. Well, I lived there with her too. But um, so the best thing was when she was away, um, I'd be on my own in the middle of nowhere, and just yeah, do the same thing for. The, in the same order every single day for three weeks and not speak to a single person. That was brilliant. I loved it. Is there a bit of OCD in you then? Is there, some, is there, is there a kind of control? Is there a control you need or does it come naturally f- from you? It's an interesting question. Um, I think it's like anything where, where you have to motivate yourself, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's writing, whether it's doing your VAT return. Um, you have to find ways of making yourself do it until it becomes a habit so that you can't bear not to do it, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. I suppose with writing that's a bit how I feel. But Oh, no, 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 I, I spend all my time fantasising about different careers. Um, what would you like to have done? Well, what I really, really, really like... I really like um, interiors. I make a lot of things for my house. I... Mm-hmm. When I travel, I, I buy things, and then I put them together in ways. So, for example, years and years ago, I had a silk bedspread made in Fez in Morocco, and last year I found a piece of antique ikat in the Grand Bazaar in, um, in Istanbul, and I've just made the most beautiful bed cover out of these two things. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think... For hire. What, what, I'd, what I'd really like is, is to go around the world 
buying unusual things and then making other things out of them. Hey. That's what I'd like to do. So I once made the most wonderful lampshade out of some beer bottles I'd found in Mexico. I, I like make, I like buying weird stuff. I can't make anything with my own hands, but okay. I can put things... It's a found object. And I made a wonderful uh, curtain for my flat out of two Hungarian tablecloths. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I'd like to do. My other dream job was to be a stunt rider in cowboy movies. And what stopped you? Precisely. Well, actually, I actually, no, I actually had a job as a riding extra on a film called The Scarlet Letter when I was at university. It was shot in Nova Scotia. Is that the one with... Um... Uh, uh, Robert Duvall oh. and uh, Demi Moore. Yeah. Unfortunately, the film absolutely tanked and I had to do my exams and then I yeah, kind of didn't really get back involved with that. But I did do it. I did do it. Oh, it wasn't stunts. It was just being an extra on a horse. But still. Can we see you? Do you know where you... Can, could you well, I'm in all the crowd scenes. Wherever there's a horse, <laughs> is me. <laughs> uh, so that would be my other dream job. Um, and then, uh, what else would be... Um, I'd also, yeah, fashion. I would like to. Have, mm. I would like to have worked on a fashion magazine. I'd like, quite like to be edited Vogue, really. In fact, I have. Is that this, too late? That's. Well, you see, I had this idea years and years ago. I was offered an internship on Vogue, and I was too poor. I couldn't take it because I couldn't afford to live in London and work for nothing and support myself. I just couldn't afford it. Um, so I said no. But then I thought maybe. Once I finish with number three of this, I might write to Alex Shaw and say, do you remember me? Could, could I come and be an intern now? Because <laughs> you could at least Because I could afford it, yeah, exactly. But that, that suggests that you learn valuable lessons about the problems of being a writer, which is how do you make money? Uh, mm. One of which is how do you make money? Yeah, yeah. Beyond... Exactly. Questions of mm. was was that ever was the idea of being a writer an ambition for you? Um, to be entirely honest, I it never occurred to me that I would do anything else. I was professionally published when I was eleven. What, what did you do when you were eleven? Well, my gran <laughs> used to buy me uh, every week a copy of um, a magazine called Jackie. Oh, yeah. Well, we, I think we started with the Beano, then we had a flirtation with the Bunty. And then, <laughs> and then when I was about 11 or 12, it was Jackie, which is, I mean, you, you, you're yeah. a guy, but you, you, maybe well, it, was, I it, was, it was on your radio. Yeah. So every week they, they would publish um, a romantic short story on the back page. I read loads of these. And it seemed to me that they were pretty much to a formula. So when I was 11, I wrote one. I put it in an envelope and sent it off to DC Thompson in Glasgow. Of course, this is way, way back. This is written, what, 1986. Okay. So, obviously, you know, that they didn't... Nobody would even have even a word processor. So I sent it a handwritten thing. They sent me back a cheque for 50 quid and published it. Now, bearing in mind that this was 1986, 50 quid is a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's basically what you get paid for the TLS now. Um, so I wrote about three of them. They took them all. And then I don't know quite what it was that gave away their contributor's age, but I think they realised that they'd been employing a minor, and I got rather a stern letter back saying I didn't, want, I wasn't to send anything else. Really? But the point is, I published three short stories for money in a national magazine when I was eleven, um, and I'm not saying that to show off. It's just that it didn't really occur to me that I would ever do anything else. 
Was it exciting to get... Because uh, I think it's one of the things that writers tend not to talk about often, is just the excitement of either seeing your name in, in print, or perhaps that, that part of it was... Oh, I like seeing my name on the cheque. And seeing your name on the cheque, yeah. which people don't want to... <laughs> £150, you say, that's... When you're 11, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So were you writing all, all the time at that time? No, no, I, I was, as then, a lazy writer. <laughs> I don't write for pleasure. I write for money. No, that's not entirely true. I don't always write for money. But, um, no, I, I, I did my job. And then I didn't write anything else until I was 25. So what happened in the intervening? <laughs> I read a lot. Okay. I read a lot. Um, but when I was at university, I didn't... I didn't really have any. I think I may. That's probably like, I think I may have reviewed a book for the Charwell, <laughs> but I, I didn't enter any competitions. There were so many people wanking about in Oxford, you know, claiming to be writing novels and this, that, and the other. I just couldn't bear to get involved with any of that. Um, I just wanted to take drugs and read poetry, so that's what I did. <laughs> um, and so yeah, and then I, I wrote my first book when I was twenty-five. But that's still pretty young. I mean, there's there's quite a premium place by a lot of publishers and I guess by journalists and the media on on, on brilliant on form two rebuild. But you obviously kind of had us were quite happy to slightly step out of that and just do do some reading and a bit of living. Yeah, that was very much the plan. Okay. The plan was to have a life that I could then you know write about. What made you want to write your first your first book? Um. I did my master's thesis um, at Barricade on um, patronage networks in, uh, amongst women in the 17th century French court. Um, and I was particularly interested in one furniture maker who was patronised by uh, Madame de Montespan. Um, and I became so interested in her, mainly, I think, because of um, Nancy Mitford's wonderful book on Versailles. And there wasn't re- there had been one biography of her in English in 1910 and I I think it's Evelyn Moore who says that if you want to write a novel you should write a history book first <laughs> which he in reference to his own biography of Rossetti um, and I just I don't know quite why but I thought I'll write a book about Madame de Montesquieu so I did was it simply it must have was it daunting I mean you make it sound as though you well, I don't know whether it was. I think ignorance is always is always very useful in these respects. I think being stupid and arrogant and naive is is quite helpful at times. Um, I think I probably would have been daunted had I thought about it. I had no idea what I was doing <laughs> at all. Were you doing other things? And I know, I know. I had just managed to leave my very brief employment at Christie's, um, and I gave myself a year. I had a husband at the time. It was quite handy. So I gave myself a year to write this book and get a publisher, and I did. But the plan was if I couldn't if I couldn't do it, then I'd go and do something else. Okay. And often I regret that, you see. Often I regret that I hadn't stayed at Christie's. Why, why was that? Well, I suppose because at the time I was very impatient and... Um, and probably very arrogant and thought, I, I want to be writing about, you know, old masters, I don't want to be doing people's accounts. Um, and had I just had, you know, the humility or the intelligence to stick at it, perhaps I could have done quite well at that. And now I'd be one of the people I feel jealous of at the Biennale, you know. <laughs> so, 
So, yeah, oh, no, no, my, my entire writing life is, is one long history of regret. So rather than, so rather than as happens in, um, in Lystra, uh, you get rumbled trying to rumble your boss mm-hmm. and then go off and, and, and mm. kill various people around Europe... Um, no, no, you went off to write a book instead. I went off to write a book instead. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, and um, and the reason I was I was not, wasn't a very good employee at Christie's because I was always getting caught in the library reading. Okay. When I was supposed, well, I, mean, I was I was I was I really wanted to know about stuff. I was I was either in the library or indeed as comes into the book, lurking in the warehouse, actually looking at the pictures, which is, is well, clearly frowned upon. You do that. Is, is there an equivalent with, with becoming a writer that there's a sort of joy which I think every writer, most writers anyway, must feel when you're reading that slightly gets lost when you have the nuts and bolts of making a living as a writer? Or have you always been able to maintain that love of books? Because it's, I mean, it's one of the things I find talking to a lot of writers is that a lot of writers do talk I'm, about how I'm difficult... I'm appalled by some writers I know who seem to have stopped reading. I find that quite terrifying. Or they pretend to, but they don't really. Um, no, no, the entire purpose of writing is so I can buy more books and okay. have more time to read more books. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the whole point. Um, Were there early books? I mean, in the, again, in, in the novel you, you mentioned Enid Blyton's wonderful Mallory Towers, which I was just talking to with Rebecca Thornton, who's... Mm. Um, and uh, there's a reference to Nancy Drew and things like that. Was, yeah. was that your childhood reader? Was that the sort of... Oh, well, I, mean, I think all of that. I, I was quite an eclectic reader as a child. My mother took the view that if I could read it, I was allowed to read it. <laughs> so, but I think it's wonderful when you're, when you're young, you don't read with any sense of hierarchy. <clears throat> so you can jump from, I don't know, Thomas Hardy to Ina Blyton to, uh, I don't know, to Tolstoy to mm. whatever. And you don't think this is a grown-up, this is a child's book. It's just, is it interesting, is it not? And that's mm. such a brilliant way to read. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all, I, I think it would be hard to find... What did I really love? I hear one of my favourites was Mistress Masham's Repose. Tell me, but I don't know. It's a beautiful story. Um... Based on Berlin Palace, about a sort of you know orphan child growing up in this this vast ruin called Malplaquet, and she finds the last of Swift's Lilliputians living on an island by the summer house. <laughs> um, and then I suppose what I kept to the castle and a constant nymph. And um, what else would be a really uh, the worst witch, actually. <laughs> yes, to the extent that I, I, re, I, I rewrote the Onward Christian Soldiers hymn so that you could sing it to, with the words of the anthem um, <laughs> of the worst witch school. I won't I'm sing gonna it. Make you, I'm going to make you sing it right now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would, but I've got a terrible singing voice. <laughs> my daughter. One of the things I just reading about you, the... the the words Nancy Mitford come up, an awful lot you've written about her. I wrote a book her. about her, yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned her quite a lot. And was she, is she a... Um, is she a <clears throat> I think she, she is a great uh, inspiration because she has such tremendous sprezzatura. Um, there's a really deceptive lightness about her work. In fact, in my introduction to the book I wrote about her, I compare it with Jane Austen, um, that it is so well done that you can't see it being done at all. Um, but like Jane Austen, she's actually quite a dark writer, if you care to mm. look. 
uh, and the fact that she's so so screamingly funny and I also like the fact that quite a lot of her jokes get missed so you know Love in a Cold Climate is actually about child abuse it's a long joke about child mm. abuse which I mean were it to be discovered they'd probably ban it nowadays um, I like the fact that the, the humour is absolutely unsparing it is totally vicious totally scathing um, and universally applied but very gently done uh, I, so I suppose she would be well, and Jane Austen, I mean, isn't it, would it be lovely if there was another Jane Austen? Don't you envy people who haven't read all of Jane Austen? Because they get to read it first. Because they get first. to read it, yeah. yes. Yeah, my, my daughter's just read Sense and Sensibility. And I so was how old is your daughter? Eleven. And I was, I was so jealous of her, I kept sort of peering at it. So why do you think you responded to those, that, I mean, that mixture of, of perhaps serious, unsettling subjects, but, but a lightness of, of... I mean, again, it could chime with... with uh, with Maestro I, 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 I find I, I greatly dislike earnest writers. I, I could never get on with David Foster Wallace. Uh, or Seabold. You see, people say Seabold, but oh, goodness me, no. Or Saul Bellow, you couldn't pay me. Or Virginia Woolf. Or Henry James. I mean, anything that has... It doesn't have to have jokes, but it needs to have a, a kind of... Um, a suppleness to the language... Which I think is, is is immediately made tense and unliving by earnestness. So I suppose all 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 my favourites would, would would definitely be on the side of, the, of jokes, no earnestness. Is there is, is there also a narrative drive? You, you need. I mean, one of the things all those writers, certainly James uh, James, is most sort of modernist e. Mm. I, I in this old pretender phrase. Well, I, yeah, and I think like the Golden Ball, like bold, I guess. Uh, books I tend, I've never finished in, Infinite Jest. I've started it several thousand times. I don't think one has enough life. Okay. Though. Well, I mean, clearly he didn't have enough life, did he? In the, in the end. Poor yeah. Um, but there, there is a sort of a joy of reading a gripping, good, good story, which perhaps people are a bit sceptical of sometimes. Um, I think. I think the whole sort of modernist snobbery about plot feels very dated now. Um, and certainly, again, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, I'm a big Georges Perec fan and one could hardly accuse him mm. of overplotting, but he is funny. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's that I, 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 you know, I, I like a, a, a rattling yarn so much as I don't like writers who are too writerly. Um, I guess I I spend a lot of time with writers who actually start sentences with things like, you know, speaking as a writer. I just want to punch them. Like, what? You know, what? Speaking as a cleaning lady, speaking as a dustman. I mean, what, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> you know, 60 bazillion people write novels all the time, you know, and twas ever thus. Um, it's it's not novel. It's not brave. It's not scary. You are not living la vie bohème. Um... And it doesn't make you special. So I, I think, I think any, any, any time I, I feel that the writer is being a writer, I just want to step away. So is the is is the sort of thing that you respond to as a reader that 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 way that um, I don't want to use the word transparent style, but something where where you would get there's that slight feeling you could get lost in the book that yes, the book slightly yes. over, overtakes yes, you. Yes, definitely. Started writing your own 
your own fiction. There are three novels, um, as well as the, the, the biographies and, and, and works of, yeah. of, of um, history, which feel probably quite different to, to the book you've become best known very for. Very different, very different. Um, well, are they all historical? Well, fiction? I suppose one... One kind of is in the, it's it's set in the Second World War in the year two thousand. So I guess that probably still puts it into the historical category. Mm. And the other two are straight history fiction. Mm. Um, <coughs> the first one, which I quite like, uh, I, I suppose it was it was about being contrarian. It was it's a story which I researched and wrote in the place where I lived in France, which is this tiny little village in in the town of Garonne. Um, about the French resistance, except they're not really the French resistance. <laughs> and they're just... Well, one, they're rubbish, but also they're a terrible load of collabo and everything's an accident, and the person who's been the worst collabo ends up with his name on the war memorial, <laughs> and the person who's actually done it ends up, you know, hanging himself, and it's all very dark. But it, it was... And, and the sort of modern-day story is, is a send-up of all those sort of year in Provence style, you know, isn't it beautiful, you know, the expat dream. Mm. So, so I suppose it's a, very, it's a very contrary book, in a way, because it's... it's I, I think received ideas... I was thinking about Flaubert this morning, um, as one does. <laughs> <laughs> no, for, for a reason, a particular reason. And I was thinking about the... Um, his, his dictionary of received ideas, which is one of the joys of... I don't know whether you know no, it, but it's, it's one of life's great joys. Okay. He never finished it, but I, I can't recommend it enough. It certainly doesn't have a plot. Um, and I, I think in micro, when you use words, and in macro, when you think of themes, beware the received idea, which doesn't mean that clichés are a bad thing, technically. Mm. Clichés are excellent. Mm. Clichés cliche are brilliant and really funny. Mm. And it's like people who never split infinitives. If, you, if you're too frightened to be a split infinitive, mm. you don't deserve to get published. But I think received ideas are always interesting places to start for stories, aren't they? Because what you can then mess, mess around with them. Well, this is what you think happened, actually. Like, mm. I'm going to tell you a different version. All good stories mm. are about that, aren't they? All really yeah. good stories about this is the received version of events and this is... This is, this is a real story. Yeah. I, th- I think all, pretty much all good books are like that. How did that work with your... You, you, there were two sides to your, to your writing career. There's, there was writing fiction and, and writing, um, I guess, mainly biographies of yeah. interesting, strong women from... Well, I wanted to do Voltaire, but Alan Samson wouldn't let me. Um, Why wouldn't he let you? I think it would sell a.k.a. you write about women, stick to it. Um, no, I... Well, the newest I got was doing Gaston Palewski, um in, with, Nancy in, with Nancy. And, in fact, I really wanted to write a book about Gaston, but <coughs> I thought, no, Alan won't buy that, so mm. I have to do it the other way around, and I'm kind of glad I did. Um, and then I guess the Medieval Queen's book was more of a history-history book. Again, there was the, the coat hanger. Mm. And then I suppose arguably the last one, Elizabeth Renaissance Prince, isn't about a woman at all. <laughs> That's the whole. It's again. It's the the premise of that book was you know most Europe. Well, most most Anglo uh, history on Elizabeth starts from the point that her her, her gen- gender was in some way anomalous to her position. How about we just don't talk about that because that's not an interesting way to think. Mm. Let's think about how gender was perceived in the Renaissance and how it was that she could happily refer to herself as male, why that was, and then move on. 
So I, I, I suppose it's contrary. Is the way I would but did you, f- for someone who's obviously quite contrary, um, <laughs> did you feel boxed in? I was actually reading a, the review by Frances Wilson of one of your books in The Guardian, and she seemed to be sort of rather portraying you as a particular kind of writer. This is what young sort of um, sparky historians are doing. They pick Which these... I'm not even going to try and pronounce this. Adonais, yeah. Adonais. So my first book. Um, in each case, the precarious youth and marketability of the writer is played against the worldliness and sexual attraction of the aristocrat she is writing about. So this is your first book, you're 27. Yeah, no shit, no shit Francis. Yeah. <laughs> but it seemed that almost from the beginning you're being, you're being placed into a particular kind of category as, the, I suppose, the, uh, you know, sparky young... Um, well, yeah. Um, and do you mind that? I mean, you, were you aware of it happening? I mean, you just said you could. You were advised not to write about Voltaire um, because you're a, you know, you should be writing about. I don't think I'm nearly talented enough to have any right to mind. I think you're damn lucky if you get published. You're even luckier if you are able to make some sort of a living at it. Um, I think reviewers putting you in particular boxes is. Is it even irritating? No, because you put yourself in the box when you decide what to offer to the publisher. Mm. Obviously, had I gone to Alan Sampson, age 25, with my book on the Protestant diaspora in 16th century Venice, he probably would have said no. (laughs) So, of course, I mean, every writer who wants to sell is is engaged in a game of of transaction and compromise with their publisher. Of course that's true. Mm. It's just as true for men as for women. Um, does that mean you get occasionally get in, put in boxes? Yes. Uh, unless you're Nabokov, I don't think that really matters. And no one's Nabokov, so just get over it. That would be my view. Do you quite enjoy that as a game? I mean, it, whether it was with journalism, if you were pitching a, a story idea, or there is a certain kind of. Um... Sometimes it's depressing that, you know, people only do want one thing. Um, so when I was living in Italy, I'd ring up my editor at the, uh, the Observer at the time. So I've got this great idea, you know, it's about this women winemakers collective, you know, taking on the patriarchal world of Italian winemaking. She'd be like, no, but can we have 2,000 words on extramarital sex by Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, that does get a bit tiresome, but then that, well, don't complain. If you're a hack, you're a hack. Do yeah. your job. I, 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 just, I think people can't be precious about it. Is that, is that one of the things that you've, that you've learned? Because I've certainly got friends who have been, you know, I think this has been a bit of a trope on, even on this podcast, been... Um, people spending 15 years writing the perfectly mm-hmm. craft, but never, never getting to the end. There's, the other side of that is writers who are living, working, breathing, continuing writers have to. You have to write. You have to write. You have to finish. 